Sequart presents Judging Dread, 13 essays analyzing 2000 AD's most beloved and reviled character, forward by Matt Smith, interview with Rob Williams, edited by Scott Weatherly. Find out who is the law. Welcome to episode 18 of Classic Comics. Today we finish up the discussion of the Tencent Plague by David Hashtag. Despite what you hear at the end of the episode, the next episode will be Sensation Comics number one. We will read through the comic, which includes the first appearance of Wildcat and Mr. Terrific, as well as the second appearance of the amazing Amazon Wonder Woman. As a bonus, we will also read through her first appearance anywhere from All-Star Comics number eight. Without further ado, back to Tony Freen and me analyzing David Hasdu's Ten Cent Plague. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to skip the next topic, not to skip it entirely, just to skip it to where it is, okay. because I think it, uh, it, it goes this leading into my next one and the one after that instead. But I'm definitely coming back to the other one because I really want to ask you about it because it, I, it made me think about some things I hadn't really thought about. Um, okay. Long-term impact of this crackdown. You know what? We really haven't sort of set the stage for. We're talking about uh, Frederick Wortham and Seduction of the Innocent and Pray to Pleasure, and how comic books were assaulted not just by parents groups and church groups, but by the federal government. And there were congressional hearings about the uh, about comic books and whether or not uh, places could sell them, and if it was, uh, uh, you know harmful material for kids to read. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was treated like pornography. 50s. Yes, yes, exactly. It's exactly how it was treated uh, in some ways. And that's why some comic books ended up in places like that. Uh, my LCS owner here remembers being a kid in the uh, uh, the 60s and 70s and going to um, adult bookstores and there being a section with comics, but you didn't go beyond that section because that was where the real adult stuff was. Right. But yeah. they even and they sold other types of periodicals as well. Um but anyways, uh, my, my so what we're talking about is, you know, there was this big crackdown of comics because of content, and uh, it was too adult, it was too horrific, it was too gory, it was too sexual, it was too uh, it was too adult for little kids. And I think so far what we've talked about, yeah, there was stuff that was too adult for little kids. We'll we'll give you that, but then. How do you deal with that? The way it was dealt with back then uh, in the late 40s and early 50s was was ban it and shut down the uh, uh, the industry to a point to where uh, hundreds of people, thousands of people are losing their jobs uh, 
uh, over this. Yeah, but what, and they don't—they was... didn't think about the ramifications too of when you think about you know the the shop owners. Like there weren't comic shops then, but like the, the eight-year-olds who are going into the drugstore to buy the comics, well, they're not buying comics anymore. So now, what is the drugstore going to do? They got to charge more for something else, and they're losing business. And it, it wasn't they, nobody thinks about that either, you know. And that doesn't really get touched. But I thought, God, you know, you think about the people who are directly related, but then the news guy who half of his money, I mean, you think about the numbers you gave right off the top. Now nobody's buying them. Yeah. If you're going from yeah. millions of comics a week to now, you know, or tens of millions, to maybe half a million. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to sell? Nobody's going to buy stuff. So now you can't afford to hire somebody. And it just, it, it, you know, nobody thinks anything through when they start banning stuff, how it works, how it, how it <laughs> ripple effects. Out. Yeah. And, and even what you said there, that, that is, important because today we think of comics i say we i guess most people think of comic books as a specialty shop you go to the comic book store on wednesdays to buy your new comics whereas like you said earlier you were at the spinner rack in a drugstore or something and you bought a green lantern comic even further back there were newsstands and news dealers on the street that sold newspapers because the print media is dying people have a hard time i guess imagining right you know, I know. more than a single paper in your uh, in your town but you know new york city had i don't remember how many newspapers it had but it was upwards of five or six different newspapers oh, yeah. and you had all those pay and uh, big cities were like that you had even charlotte growing up had two newspapers and that's that was in the 80s um and you had uh magazines and you had comic books at that newsstand too and if you take away that, that's a lot of their business. Yeah. And and it, the distribution method, method and the selling method was totally different back then. And you impacted so many people with that. Sure, if you ban comics right now, just straight off, no comics, you could put a lot of comic book – you could put comic book shops out of business. But it's not going to put all those other places out of business. But how many news dealers went out of business? How many – Newsstands, how many, you know, mom and pop news dealers on the corner when had to go out of business because they lost all the comic books that they were selling, you know, hand over fist back then. It's yeah, it's the ripple effect, as you said, is is astounding. Um, but what so that sort of sets up the context. So I'm sorry we we got sidetracked there for it. But my question or my topic was gonna be uh the long term impact of this crackdown. To me, it feels like it took until the early 80s for the industry to really rebound in creativity. Um, you see some stuff in the 60s and 70s like uh, Eerie and Creepy and Blazing Combat, uh, but they were all published as magazines. It takes until really the, the early 80s when you get all these independent publishers coming out of the woodwork and you've got uh, – really the beginnings of the comic book industry that we know today where there's so many different titles and genres and uh, books that are appropriate for different age groups. Do you remember the early 80s like that uh, in comic book shops or is that you weren't familiar with that yet, were you, with Pacific and Eclipse and, you know, you had these horror books that were straight out of the 50s style. All of a sudden they're back and they're they're written the same way for for adults that are reading comics. They're not, they're clearly not directed at kids. And it's the first time really you get that again. And it took, you know, about 30 years for it to rebound. Did you have any thoughts on that? Or did you 
think about that at all? As you no, were, I did. And I agree because, because I came into comics during that rebound that you were talking about. So for me, you know, DC, you know, like, again, the, the demolition team and the, the detective comics at the time, you know, they were, they were still a little cartoony, you know, a little, but then you, like I said, you've got just before that. And it's all, I, I say this a lot and, and I will say it again, that Denny O'Neill raised me. Like I became the person, and it sounds silly, but like hard reading those hard traveling heroes in back issues as I was reading them then because they'd already happened. And then when John Stewart comes in, so I'm reading these really kind of progressive ideas from my comic books and from Denny in particular, right? I'm reading Denny Green Lantern, right? Denny, Denny Green Arrow. I'm reading Denny uh, Batman and Detective. And so Denny O'Neill and then Marv and is, you know, was really progressive. And so I feel like there's this, it's not just that it rebound, it's that it finally pushed through the code that was put in there. So I agree with you. And then, like I said, I got my hands on some of those early turtles. And remember those early turtles were really dark. Those weren't like the fun Cowabunga dude turtles. Like they were Ronin. They were a knockoff of Daredevil and Ronin. I mean, those were an honor. You know, they were paying homage to Frank Miller. <laughs> you can't get more dark than Frank Miller. And you and I talked off air. Whoever Frank Miller is now is lost. His, he's lost his way, let's say. But there, <laughs> there was, but even then, you know, because that Dark Knight Returns comes out. And, you know, yeah. uh, at the end of the 80s, Killing Joke comes out. So so you definitely get to this point where um, you are 100% correct. And I, I, I don't, because I didn't, until I had a car, so until I was, you know, 16, I couldn't go to my local comic shop, which was several towns over. My town was tiny. Like, you're from a city. I'm from a town. So it wasn't until right, I could right. drive, I couldn't get to the comic shop. So I was still really stuck with the flea markets or with the whatever I could get at the grocery store or drugstore. Once I could get to the comic shop, the stuff that you're talking about, then it was like a whole new thing. So I didn't see those horror comics per se, but I know it, like, again, that was always like one of those retro things like, oh, I see them now, you know, like in the nineties, I can look back and say like, oh, this, you know, three years old. Now I can see it. But I definitely agree with you that there was almost like the mid eighties was a renaissance for comics because they just, and I don't know, do you think, do you, who do you put it on? Is it Len? Is it Denny? Who's, is it, is it Miller? Who are the ones who push their way through the code? Who are the ones who are like, we are done with this nonsense and we are just going to start making comics the way that, that we remember them as kids. Who do you credit it to for, for, for the Renaissance? Well, it's interesting because you had the, uh, the code got, uh, uh, lightened in the early 70s when uh, and then subsequently D- uh, Marvel did Tomb of Dracula, Werewolf by Night. Uh, who's for her? Not who's for uh, What's the the son of Satan? Frankenstein. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't think of his name. <laughs> son of Satan. That's his name. Is that just his name? Okay. Son of Satan. Okay. The son of Satan. Okay. He's got, he's got not a, he's got like, you know, Bob or somebody, but it's not, I can't remember his name. Okay. Uh, All yeah, right. Son of Satan. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but before that, you know, Stan Lee had published those three issues of Amazing Spider-Man with the drug story. Right. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So that, that happened. And, you know, they would squeeze in whatever they could here or there just to you know, push the envelope if they could and see what they could get by with. But once the uh, the code was uh, softened 
that's when they started having, you know, more and more stuff. But it really took the direct market to where you could publish something without the code mm. and get it into a place that was going to sell to where they really started doing the stuff that, that we're talking about. So it was um, the rise of comic shops that saved comics. Um, yeah, because otherwise you still had to, you couldn't do some of those stories and books in a uh, in a newsstand magazine, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So it was it was really that it was it was the ability to get books to a place in a method that didn't require the comics code. And that's why DC and Marvel it. Some at some point in the '80s, also start publishing books that are not code approved, right? And it's nothing, you know, outlandish. I mean, uh, uh, Watchmen was not code approved, uh, right? Thriller, remember Thriller? That was a DC 12 issue series. Uh, Camelot 3000 was not code approved. Camelot 3000. Uh, we talked about that before. Yeah, that yeah. was definitely not code approved. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. Um, but also, that's when they started the Baxter series of New Teen Titans and Legion of Superheroes. Uh, those were not code-approved books either, even though they also had a newsstand, you know, uh, sister book that was code-approved. And not that there was anything, I think, in those that are excessive, but there's clearly a little bit more freedom to, to not worry about having to fit something into a uh, a hole if it doesn't if you need to sort of skirt the edges a bit with some of the stories and and images at times you know yeah yeah oh, um, yeah yeah and it gave and us that, disco nightwing so that's also should not have been <laughs> disco nightwing oh my gosh yeah. i don't know what they I mean, were at least thinking. we got nightwing though at least we got nightwing we did though. get nightwing you're right that's nightwing. true <laughs> yeah well, you have to ask Marv and George about the disco aspect of it. I, oh, I wouldn't care to comment on the. <laughs> but, I mean, I think a lot of a lot of that is is out. It comes out of the uh, uh, the the ability to sell a comic where you don't have to have it approved, and right. the only place you could do that at the time was, you know. So the industry changed, and to the point now that um, there is no comics code anymore. There's just uh, the companies put their own ratings on it so that. You know that well. I shouldn't give this, you know, adults-only, mature <laughs> label book to my seven-year-old. You know, yeah. You shouldn't I don't care if it is Batman. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. If, if you, unless you want to talk about the Batwing, don't hand it over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, and and I, I do lament that there's sort of a the lack of an all-ages books that are all ages, but still but not childish or kitty. You know what I mean? I do. I, I do. I know what's really, what I really have loved the DC YA line. There's some good stuff in there, but then it's like, they always like the, I am not Starfire. I really enjoyed. And I think that would have, that was like perfect for an all age book. But then there was like, they just had to throw a few fucks in there, which again, I say fuck all the time, but it's like you had that you could have given this, this could have been in the hands of a 12 year old. Why did you have to throw and the fucks can't. in there? Yeah, I don't get what you were doing. I don't understand sometimes because the rest of the story, it's you know, it's about a girl who's who's gay and she's coming to terms with herself and her mom being Starfire and all this. You know, there's 12, 13 year olds who are going through that. You, they need this book. Yeah. And so like, but you drop the two fucks in there. So now it's going to get the higher rating. 
And I don't get that. I don't, yeah. you know, there's, and again, it's just silly. It's just silly, <laughs> but no, I'm with you. We were talking about that too. Um, there definitely is a lack of, but this goes back to your original point that you were making about the book that, that the intended audience, that these were adults who weren't really writing for kids. They were just in the hands of kids. And I still think yeah. that is still an issue, right? That's still um, problematic. Yeah with comics writ large is that it's either like superhero girls, which are great. Don't get me wrong. I like the superhero girls line or, um, or the dear superhero stuff that, that the DC zoo, it was DC zoom before now it's DC kids. There's some good stuff out yeah. there, but it's few and far between. And you're right there. It's either super kidsy or it's Batwang, And there's not a lot of, I guess that's what wonder comics were trying to be, but he who shall not be named really did not let that be what it could have been. <laughs> I like that. I like that. He who should not be named. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Do not invoke him. <laughs> but not that's the different show. But I didn't get but he was but that but the I the heart was there with Wonder Comics, right? It's almost uh-huh. as though if an idea like Wonder Comics, and I wonder, do you think I wonder, I wonder, wonder, do you think had there been something like that, if if the comic book industry at the time when this was happening in the 50s. If they had come forth and said, okay, instead of like they ramped it up to 11, they're like, all right, we're just going to make these for adults. And there's that whole section in there where they just started making romance books, romance comics. Yeah. What if they yeah, had yeah, come up yeah. with a wonder line and we're like, okay, we will make a line that is appropriate for 12 to 15 year olds. Then are you okay with it? But they didn't do that. And it right. still seems like nobody's, do you think that could have saved the industry at the time if they had just done that? You know, the, 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 the industry tried to have its own self-imposed rating system before we actually got the rating system we got. Uh, but it was apparently from what I've read here in, in this book, uh, yeah. it was a joke. It mm-hmm. was just, you know, there was no serious uh, you know, commitment to it. There was no, you know, real, you know, submitting it to the board to, for any kind of, uh, you know, assessment of the work. I, I guess, I guess if they could have, done something and said and made it that way yes but i still think there is it still happens today there's still a, an understanding in the general population that comics are for kids mm. whether no, right. there's a bat wang in it or not right you know no, you're right i mean if you said if you if you printed it in a in a cellophane wrapper and had a disclaimer. So this comic has a picture of the Batman's penis. Do not give it to anyone under 18. Right. Right. You know, that might do it, but that's also an excessive disclaimer, you know? Right. right. You know, I mean, and it, it's, it's a funny disclaimer, but it's also an excessive disclaimer, <laughs> you know? It does make me laugh to think that that would be on the front of a book. That would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would. You'd almost want to buy it just for that. <laughs> right, for sure. It would actually sell a shit ton if they did that, right? Yeah. yeah. And it people would, would be... never open it up because they wouldn't right. want to ruin the, the disclaimer on the front. Right. It would be clickbait, but in comic book form. They'd buy two. They'd buy one that they don't open yeah. and they'd yeah. buy another one. Oh, my God. What? You're a marketing genius, yeah. Mr. Lloyd. There, there you go. <laughs> Well, as a superhero, so dummies, guys, DC, Marvel, send your checks payable to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I I think it could have helped. But at the same time, people aren't if if parents are involved uh, in what their kids are consuming, be it uh, visually or or orally, 
or orally, you know, you're going to, it's, it's on them, you know, no, you're there's right. stuff it out is. in the world that there's stuff out in the world and you have to be savvy enough to figure out what it is before you let them have it. Whether it's something they eat, something they drink, something they read, something they watch on TV, what they watch on the internet, you know, that's, I mean, that's just 101 of being a parent, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I think that's what I mean, this book really highlights is that it's once again, because you mentioned, I mean, people, when people read this, I mean, I, I cannot encourage everyone to read this book enough, but it is when you get to the section about the Senate hearings and it's just, it's so frustrating. I don't know if you felt this way when you see the dumb shit that they say and do in this book and like the, 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 yeah. and, and again, people can take this joke for whatever they, but like Reagan always said, the scariest words are the English language. I'm, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And, <laughs> and that was a really funny line, right? Because, and I think Reagan yeah. actually probably, you know, he knew it was a line. He was an actor, whatever, but yeah. When I read this section of the book, when you go through what these folks had to go through, that's all I could think of. It's like you're the government, you think you're helping, but you're not actually listening. You've already made the decision about how, how this is going to go before it even starts. And so it, it, it really feels, again, burn the witch. It feels like a witch hunt. And I see that all the time in the way that a lot of um, government hearings go down. There's, of course, regular government hearings that are important. I'm not shitting on government hearings. But it's like, we're going to have a special thing and it's going to be on TV and we're going to make a big deal out of it. It really feels like yeah. the senators and congressmen and women are showboating as opposed to like trying yeah. to get to the root of something. Like when I, it reminded me of recently when they brought all the tech people to, to Capitol Hill and they all just yelled at them all day. Do you remember that? <laughs> I missed that. What was, okay. Well, that <laughs> happened. They brought everybody and red, blue, it doesn't matter, independent. Everybody took their chance to yell at Mark Zuckerberg for an hour. And it's like, but what? Nobody just asked a question. It was just like, I'm going to come in and yell at you. So, so it's so frustrating to me that, that that was the government's reaction was to just come in and, and overcorrect because that one constituent said, comic books are bad. You're like, well, I want to be reelected. So let's burn again, burn the witch. I'm going to keep coming back to it. So, so I just felt like this was a perfect storm of stupidity to, for that all this happened. Right. It's so dumb. Yeah. It just, and I, so I think uh, we, ha we haven't missed it. We haven't missed mentioned it yet, but this is all right along the lines of the uh, communist hearings and stuff with the, uh, uh, with McCarthy and all that at the same time, it's that same time. So there's, it's almost as it, the book describes it, the communist hearings and the comic book hearings are kind of flip-flopping in uh, uh, importance in the in hierarchy of what's, what are they going to deal with first? It goes back and forth between the two. Uh, and it's kind of crazy to think that it's, it's that important at the time to the government that it's, it's challenging the whole McCarthy bit and the, and the, and the communism at the same time. That's, that's the level of importance they're putting on this uh, back then. It's insane to consider that. Right. And it's, and both of them are about, I mean, the communist thing, the anti-communist thing that McCarthy did, then it turned into Hollywood too. Right. And there were like writers who yeah. were blackballed and all this stuff. So it's just, again, this yeah. really interesting commentary that, we always turn to, we want to ban entertainment. Like the way to get attention, the way to show that we're doing something is to ban a comic book or to do whatever, as opposed to yeah. like, well, what is the real issue? 
that we're having here. Let's have a real conversation because there's a difference between protesting. I'm pro protest away. Say I choose to not support you by not buying you. Okay. And if you as a person who, of interest who, who thinks you have sway comes out and says, you know, I think there's, there's some things about these comic books we should probably, or these movies or these writers or these, whatever, they've got some subversive ideas. Let's have a conversation and see how we can fix it. Instead, it's always the other extreme. It's either like, we're not going to, like you said earlier, we're not going to pay attention to what our kids are doing at all. And then when they're doing this stuff that we didn't know they were doing, we're going to overreact and light everybody's hair on fire. When the rational approach is in there somewhere, but nobody's looking for it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, it's, it, it's astounding that it got that out of hand still thinking back, you know, we were, I wasn't alive at the time, but I'm trying to imagine comics getting that much notoriety and publicity, even if it's bad in today's day and age that, it was that important that comics were that important to the fabric of uh, American society and to American kids that it was this big a deal, you know? Yeah. That's, that's astounding to me. Yeah. The closest thing that's, that we can compare it to is what happened with second coming, right? That's the closest thing of late. And that still got published in Ahoy, but DC pulled the plug because Fox news yeah. did a bunch of stories about second coming because DC was going to publish second coming. And then Fox News that. decided yeah. Fox News decided it was bad. And so DC, not wanting yeah. the bad press, just pulled the plug. And you right. know, luckily, luckily Tom over at Ahoy was like, come on over. And so again, yeah, because that, that yeah, right, because the option is there. And again, if that had happened then, there wasn't that option. And like you described in the 80s, they finally found a way around it, but it took them 30 years to find a way around it, which gave us yeah. all of the crazy shit from the 60s and 70s that. All those comics. I wanted to ask you about that because this book doesn't touch on them. But what are some of your favorite things that you can remember that were like directly related to the comics code existing? Like we didn't know at the time. Like you're a kid, you're reading back issues. You don't realize why is Batman in this oh. rainbow suit or why is there whatever oh, oh. silly thing? <laughs> like I think oh, back like now and I know it's because of the code, but at the moment I didn't know. I wondered if you if you thought of any of like those other ramifications of the code that were kind of a little more lighthearted. Oh, wow. Um, I guess something I actually really enjoyed was some of the 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 the, the mystery science fiction books that DC did publish back then and even the early marvel stuff where uh pre-hero marvel where it was uh you know jack kirby and steve ditko doing monster books and stuff like that and how they would have to be how you you couldn't show certain things but you could still kind of craft a story that was weird or had a twist or was uh science fiction oriented and just you know in that genre without being you know, over the top and how the writers and artists would try to portray those without crossing that code line, but still telling a, a, a fun, readable story, I guess. That's right. I, 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 I think. Go ahead. No, you go. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, because I was just, I was hearing what you were saying. And I, 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 do you think then that, that they've made them better writers? I think it made them 
work a different part of their writing. I mean, like earlier today, I was reading a uh, a, a, a reprint for the Starman episode that I wanted to make sure I reread just to make sure I'd covered anything and if there was anything significant that happened in that particular reprint and it was a uh, in the 60s and there's just a lot of setup and cleverness to the uh to the mystery they have to un- uncover you know there can't be anything too gross or horrible there, and there can't be anything gross or horrible in it but they still have to have a mystery to solve to where there's a reason that starman and black canary have to team up and it's a pretty intricate for a it's an inter- it's kind of interesting for the for the, for the time. It's not just you know, bad guy steals money from the bank or you know, aliens land and they attack. You know, it's not there's there's a a thought process to it. To how can we do this? And then what can happen that they figure it out? And then how are they gonna trick the bad guy into revealing it? Those kind of things. Then there's a lot more plot to it, I think, as opposed to you know, good guy, bad guy, fight, it's over. You know yeah, what I mean? There's more. I do, I do. Yeah, I just, to it. I just wonder, just because, you know, when you think about, when you mentioned Kirby, and he, obviously, he shows up in this book, and, you know, and, uh, when you think about this, the big world, the big ideas that Kirby had that came out of this, and again, I'm not advocating any of this, but if, if you're trying to find a silver lining, you know, the, the big worlds that Kirby invented came out of this because like you said, he had to be a little more clever. He had to write around some stuff, you know, um, yeah. right. Fourth world comes out of this time. And, and is it because he yeah, had to figure seven. out a way yep. to have a, have a really thoughtful conversation, had to do some heavy lifting without it being uh, with Bob getting past the code, you know, I don't know. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a. Uh, yeah, I mean, there are silver linings and things like this, but at the same time, would we have moved past where we are now already? You know. Oh, would that's we be a- where we are with comics in the '80s if we hadn't had to deal with the uh, the setback. I I can't help but think about the fact that uh, after the ancient world lost the technology for concrete, how we took a long time to discover how to make concrete again, you know, and that's something very sort of basic sounding. How do you make concrete? Well, I mean, there are lots of people probably that know how to make concrete. I can't tell you the formula for it right now, but it's not hard to find. But if they had that in the ancient world and they did, and then they lost the, uh, the knowledge after the fall of Rome and all that, how long did it take us to figure it out again? And, I look at that as a parallel. If we had this advancement of comics up into the 50s with EC and what they were doing, and they were ready to launch comics for adults that were directed at adults, and then all of a sudden it's all gone and it's all, you know, sunshine, rainbows, and kitty stuff until really the the 80s, late 70s, early 80s, when it finally comes back to where, and now here we are now where there's just you know tons of variety and uh it may not all be great art you know but there's there's lots of stuff that's good and it's not always quite honestly it's rarely your the best stuff is still rarely your marvel and dc books they'll have a gem sometimes but really the best stuff is are those indie books that 
you cover so much on your show. I agree. I think, I agree. I think, I think what I'm hearing you say too, and as I just, my mind is whirling, it's like, oh no, we've been talking for an hour and a half. I've got 50 more things I want to say. So, but two things that you just mentioned, well, I'm going to jump on the thing you just mentioned, but you're saying some of the best books aren't the, the major books anymore. Do you feel like because now there is no code, and again, I'm not advocating for a code, and I understand that you can rate books, but do you think because it's like you can pretty much do whatever you want now that it makes it easier to not have to, to be clever? Like, as long as we've got Harley Quinn in it or Batman in it or Wolverine in it or Cap in it, it's going to sell. So we don't have to write a good story where some of the best, like that Hawkman book, got canceled. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's because it was a Hawkman book. And that's like bullshit because there was somebody writing something really good, saying something and nobody was reading. And so it's so infuriating. And is it because now it goes back to when we first started, you were saying, well, at the time it was like, this is a livelihood. Maybe it's just a paycheck. But now it's like, well, what sells? Batman sells. So there's going to be 40 Batman times. Hawkman doesn't sell. So that's going to keep getting canceled. But yeah. People are going to look back on that hawk, not reading that hawk in 20 years. They're going to find that and be like, oh, I wish I had read that. Yeah, because maybe it wouldn't have been canceled. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, yeah, I I, there there way there really is way too much of a few characters and people do miss out. And I and you have to kind of blame the blame readers. I mean, we're all readers, so we're all kind of to blame, but we all can't read everything at the same time too. Right. No, you're right. But, but what is it about a character like Batman that you can put him, you know, fishing, you know, in a boat in the middle of the river (laughs) and that would sell more than a Hawkman book. Batman goes fishing, you know, number. Oh my God. Matthew Lloyd. (laughs) <laughs> you know, Hawkman number five canceled again. You know, I, what? I, I don't know. I, I it's it seems like there's such a I mean, there are sometimes I, I find myself at such odds when I'm reading different stuff and thinking about this kind of thing that I go, I almost don't want to read anything new and just read all the old stuff that I haven't caught up on from the 30s and the 40s and the 50s that I'm struggling to catch up with slowly over time, you know, and say, don't read and, but then there'll be some new book that i really like and go well, i really want to support this book because it's really good or the last thing this writer wrote was fantastic i, I want to read that you know because i want to support that because it's important to support what you really value you know and it's a it's a conundrum it really is a conundrum i mean it is it is I, I agree. I, I just, you've, you've given me so much to think about. Cause like what you're saying is if there weren't the code, you're right. Some of the best comics are in these indie comics, but maybe the bigger comics, maybe we would have, you know, like, you know, the whole idea that the more choices you have, the harder it is to make a choice. Like people who only have two choices yeah. or three choices are genuinely happier than people who have 30. Right. That's like psych, yeah. psych, psychology states that. So it's almost like you just said, there's so many books and you can't read them all and they're too expensive. And so you can't, and like, I still think digital comics should be half the price. And I know that people say, well, there's, we can never recoup our costs if we do that. I get all that. But if you started making digital comics a buck or two buck, people would start buying them hand over fist. So it's like, you'll sell five more. Like if, 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 if the Hawkman comics were a buck and they were only digital, you'd sell more of them then it, right. it nobody wants to spend 450 on one hawkman book 
but maybe they'd spend a buck if it were only digital to try it out. Yeah, try it out. I like well, six to read right. the first arc for six bucks. Right. And, and then they're out. like, yeah. oh yeah. Now, so, so it's like, it's always, I, I always get frustrated. They're like, well, we can't charge that lower price point, whatever. But what I'm wondering is, is, is what you're saying is when you think about what this book represents, this idea of killing not only these jobs, but this industry and everything, then maybe if, if we, if this didn't happen, then those books, then DC, Marvel, DC, National, what, I know all those, as they merged into the big two, they would have more interesting stories. They could have maybe regulated themselves a little bit better. And it wouldn't be that there's so many, there wouldn't have been the need for all of the, uh, everybody's got a comic company now. And it's like, I can't even keep up, you know? And, yeah, and you yeah. miss so many good things. And, um, yeah. and so it's almost like, it's just like on TV, there's too many channels. As there's like, oh, have you seen this show? Nope. Yeah. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. I've never even heard of that. They're it's like, con- oh, it's con- great. I'm sure it is, but I don't only have so much. My time is in, is finite. And so again, grumpy old man Farina is saying, when we look back on this, not only did they, did they ruin jobs and ruin lives and, and, and needlessly harm an industry that was doing great, creative, amazing art. You also, you know, have, have kind of fucked it up for the rest of us 30 years later. So it's really frustrating to think about I mean, if you think about it, you know, Vertigo could have come out in the 60s. Oh, my God. With everything that the 50s were birthing with EC and all that. Let's say nobody cracks down on comics and EC continues to sell well. And they go, well, now we can publish comics for adults. And then we're publishing more. I mean, other countries publish comics for adults. Japan lives on that. Yeah, that's (laughs) Um, their whole thing. Right. And Yeah. And uh, they uh, they might have come to some of those conclusions about comics earlier than we did in the 80s with Vertigo, and you would have gotten more things like that because kind of what you're talking about is DC's Vertigo imprint having that sort of growth back then without the constraints of the code because it would have just it would have been able to grow naturally and. You know what I mean? That's what you're. I do. No, I do. Yeah, and it's it's just such an interesting. You you really. I feel like we're barely. I'm sorry we've wandered away from the book so much, but it's that why the book is so important to read. I think because it, I, like you, we, we are having this conversation, and it makes me think all these, these big thoughts, which is what good books do. Um, I know well, you that, said that's why I said most the convert the, the questions I had were big idea questions because yeah, that's it's working, really, man. We couldn't we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't we couldn't talk about all the details that I wanted to talk, you could, we could talk about, but in this format, we can talk about the big, the big ideas that are in the book. And, and of course, because we're current comic readers, we are able to extrapolate and relate it to the world we live in now and the comics we read now. And that's, but I mean, that's, that's kind of the whole point of why you look back at classic comics is to see how you got there. And that's kind of what we're talking about is how do we get where we are? We wouldn't have gotten where we are. As you said, we hadn't had this big shutdown, which forced all the uh, comic companies to change what they were doing and how they were doing it. And then it rebounds later on. That, that's how we got here. Right. This book shows that middle period, the troubles. The troubles. Yes. No, I, I agree. I, I, well, I know you said you had one thing you wanted to come back to, but I just have this, this popped in my head and I'm just curious. This reading this book made me reevaluate Batman 66. 
And and you always look oh, at Batman 66 okay. and it knows what it is. Like I always have looked at Adam West, knew he was doing yeah. camp, right? He never thought it was serious. Yeah. Yeah. But now reading yeah. this book may, has makes me reevaluate the entire idea behind Batman 66. And was it, while well, Adam West knew he was doing camp and boy, is he camp at a high art form. But was the purpose of that show to make fun of the comics code? Is it, a, is it, is it that self-aware or am I retconning it in a typical comic book way? I don't know that there was enough people in comics involved with the show mm. to be able to do that. Okay, fair. I, I think the people that did the show, they were television people and they thought this Batman character is popular. We did a Superman show 10 years ago. Let's do a Batman show. And they pick up the comics of the day and they're goofy and silly, like you mentioned. And so they translate it to be goofy and silly, but they do make, they do add those other bits in there for the adults. So that the adults get something out of it as well, instead of just kids. Cause when you're a kid, you're watching Batman 66 for the first time. It's like, uh, you don't get the sense that they're not serious. You think right. this no, is, I this is Batman. Yeah. This is serious. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, because, of course, as a kid in the 70s, when I first saw it in reruns after school, I had no sense that it was tongue in cheek, that it was that there was all this sexual tension with Catwoman, you know? Yeah, I right. mean, there, there are moments where it's just like, holy, you watch it now, you're like, holy crap, he's like, you know, he's. Yeah, the bat wang is thinking. Oh, about for sure, budget. especially when Eartha Kit is is Catwoman. That, whoo, that's something. <laughs> that's all I'm gonna say. That's a, Chan- the one thing too I channeling, love about channeling that channeling that Santa baby into a Batman baby oh, kind of. Oh, he smokes. Batman I know, baby. Oh, <laughs> I know. Yeah, the one thing I do love about Batman sixty six is it kind of gave us the current iteration of Babs. So you oh, know, wait, I, absolutely. It, absolutely. You know, the, well, it was created for the show, right? Yeah, and I love Babs. And then so they and they and they did a comic to uh, to mirror it. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of that stuff. Yeah, that's where she started was the show first, and then they did the comic to tie in with it. Although I think she probably appeared in the comic first, even if she was created for the show. Um, but yeah, that's that's crazy. That's uh, most people don't probably realize that her. The bat, the most famous Batgirl, the one is the iconic Batgirl, is uh, a creation of the show. But yeah, yeah no, no, she's she's yeah, I, 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 she's one of my favorite comic characters. And yeah. I've said it before that the iconic Babs is Oracle, even if the iconic Batgirl is Barbara Gordon. No, I hear what you're saying. No, I agree. I totally agree with all of that. And uh, um, yeah. That's a we will save that for some time on Max's show, maybe. But I, I agree with with that. Yeah, uh, with, yeah. With, for sure. Um, I actually wrote a paper about Batgirl for, for my MFA. I oh, did really? a crit- critical look on something. I'll just dig it out. I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah, I, I did, a, I did oh, okay. a dig, the deep dive into Batgirl. So that's because um, I could because my instructor is like, all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask you about uh, the bit about the romance comics. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a mention of it and, and, and you mentioned it where you said, you know, they were all suddenly romance comics are, are the thing to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that are in those st- comics that I, uh, my experience with the romance comics of the era is very limited. I have a few reprints 
from the 70s with some of this stuff, but I've never done a, a real heavy dive into it. And it made me think I'm going to have to for something. I'm going to have to start reading a bunch of them just to, to really learn more about what they're like. Um, but as it was talking about what the content of those romance stories and how it would show, uh, excuse me, a, uh, you know, a, a young woman and her perspective and what it was trying to do with, uh, the view of relationships and stuff. I, I and unfortunately, I, I can't remember the exact way it was phrased, but something about it made me wonder if, with your uh, 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 love of Jane Austen, if you saw any parallels in those kinds of stories with the way Austen was writing for uh, for women of her time to give a different perspective on relationships. And where the woman is the lead character as opposed to some man. Yeah, I, I will admit to you as well. I until I read this, I, I was unfamiliar with most of that stuff. But I'm with you. It's something that I, I would like to. I think it'd be a worthy trek. Um, I do think that the way that he um, the way that our author here paints it is it's exactly that is that it was for the first time. Uh, they were like, all right, well, if we can't, and it's, and it's a weird thing that happens. And like, if you follow like linguistics too, it's the same thing. Things that are associated with adult women are also associated with teenage boys and younger. There's a lot of that, you know, and like, when you think of like derogatory words that we use for men, they're often, they were originally words that we use regularly for women. Right. So, okay. um, right. So, so it's just interesting to me that in this one moment, they went the other way. They were like, well, we can't market to 12 year old boys. We might as well market to women. And um, so I do see that I, but I don't, but obviously it wasn't that women rushed out to buy these things in droves. It was like men read them to get that, like, Oh, I don't know anything about women. So it was very instructive. And I do think that if men wanted to understand definitely what it's like to be inside the mind of a thinking adult, rational woman, you should read Jane Austen because that's what she does. Um, she, they're funny. They're thoughtful. They're powerful. They're amazing. You know, like, so, you know, you, you fall in love with these characters because of, of not, because they're books. You don't know what they look like. You know, the most, the closest thing you'll get is like, Emma was pretty. Like, that's all you get. You're like, all right, that's, that's the description. And then it's up to you in your mind. What does Emma look like? You know? And so, so, so I definitely think, um, that isn't, that is really good. I didn't think about that at all until you brought that up, but I, I think that that's true. I think, um, there is, there is a, uh, it was a really good idea, uh, to, to go that route. Um, I, I kind of would like to have seen where they could have gone with that. Um, the, the female perspective, um, females as equals female as person, as opposed to property kind of thing, or, you know, like, shut up, get me a beer woman kind of stuff. So, um, but you know, there was a lot of that in, in those early crime comics, as, as, as you well know, yeah. where, where it was like, you know, and that's where Eisner flipped the script too, with his female leads, you know, the, his femme fatales were yeah. bad assets. They weren't just, they, they were, there was not a lot of damseling in distress, <laughs> you know, they were a lot of damseling who will punch you right in the face. So I love so it feels like, you know, it was interesting, too, because Eisner was, you know, there for all of this. So I feel like, yeah, obviously, that was an influence on his stuff, too, uh, the, the strong female protagonist. So I do think it's interesting. And I think maybe that will have to be maybe then at some time down the line, you'll have me back and we'll pick a few of those 
those comics, some of those romance comics. So we'll give them a, give them a go. I think we should. That's a great idea. And I know we can probably find a lot of them on the uh, digital comic museum. Yeah. So we don't yeah. have to that spend would be, any kind yeah. of arm or leg. We can, I can probably, <laughs> I can try to preview a few and preview a few and uh, figure out which ones we should read and talk about. And, and maybe, uh, maybe just, so that'd be a great idea. That's a great idea because I, after reading this bit, I was just in the book, I was like, this is not something I've ever really delved much into but it was huge and after that the romance comics were around for quite a while they weren't yeah. just around for a few years and then gone i mean they they were the thing for a few years but they remained around for a long time into the 70s and uh you know it's 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 something definitely worth uh worth investigating um so yeah we'll definitely do that well, Definitely. do you think that their influence on Archie is evident then too, as Archie progressed into what it was and what it currently is? I mean, like I, I will admit to have been reading some Archies lately. I know you'll be proud. Okay. Um, but I found because yeah. I found the Archies and the Ramones. I sent you a picture of that. I'm like, holy shit, there's an Archies. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. then yeah. there was an Archies meets the B-52s. So it's like, are they? Am I writing oh, these yeah. books? <laughs> like, I don't remember writing either of these books, but but like. Those are two of my favorite. Like I love the B-52s. And so like watching Archie uh, like love the B-52s and he's like, he's so stressed out uh -huh. about his day that he's listened to. And the plot of each of them is that Archie's keep breaking up and then he needs to meet these other bands to help him keep. So, but uh, in it all, okay. they're really great. I really have loved them. So I'm going to try to find more Archie meets whatever my favorite bands are. Apparently I just need to project them right out of my mind into existence. But well, um don't forget there's Predator and The Punisher Predator, too. Right, I need those. Them. Yeah, I need to read those as well. Yeah. But I wonder, do you think, <laughs> not those, but like the Betty Veronica love triangle stuff that happened, you know, and the, the Reggie stuff, do you think that sprang from this? Do you think that was the impetus for like, well, let's, now that we, we've we found a comic book character in Archie and, and the Riverdale crew that we can, again, market back at teenagers. So let's bring so what we've learned from writing these romance comics or that there's success and bring that into the young adult realm. Do you think there's an influence there or not? Am I stretching? Um, I'll tell you, what I would want to do is I would want to go and read the first appearance of uh, Betty and Veronica in the comics and okay. see when it happens. Cause I know, I know one of them appears before the other and I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head. I feel like Betty is there at the beginning and then Veronica shows up later and I right. want to see how it's played early on. Okay. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. I think, I think maybe that will, we should make, we can make that the, the basis for the, for our show with that. Okay. We could I, start I, with that. That would be so fun. I'm so and, excited now. I'm like, literally, you can't see yeah. me because our cameras are off, but I'm like literally at the edge of my seat. I'm so <laughs> excited. Like, that is going to be so fun. Yeah. Um, no, I think that'll be great. And this will give us a good reason. I love what you said, because there are definitely days where it's like, you you go, you, you go online and they're like, oh, this, Loki, have you seen Loki? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Whatever. I'm like, I'm just going to go watch another episode of Buffy. Like, like I can't, <laughs> like I can't handle whatever's happening. So I'm just going to go like last night. I was just like, and I'm going to be on a show next week to talk about daybreakers. It's like, I'm just going to watch daybreak. I'm just watch it now. Cause there was so many other things, so many things I hadn't seen and my brain just couldn't keep up with all of the choices. And what if I choose wrong? And then I've wasted an hour and a half. I know I like daybreakers. I'm just going to go watch. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I well, get what you're saying. It's I'm, like, I'm I just want to read these old copies. Yeah. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of TV. So 
it's even I, I it's hard to even turn the TV on for me. But I have gone back and I'm rewatching the Twilight Zone right now. So that's that's kind of my my safe place <laughs> when it comes well, to TV. Well, and, and Scott Twilight and Zone, Scott Star Trek the original series. Yeah, well, Scott and Julian are doing a Twilight Zone retrospective on uh, for their show, and that'll come out. It's on the Patreon now, but next year it'll be out. So you'll be all caught up by the oh, okay. time it's released to the release in the wild. You'll have you'll be like, oh, I just watched cool. that. They'll give you thirty episodes, thirty shows. Let's do. I came on yeah. to talk about um, time enough to last, which is my favorite episode, the Burgess Meredith in the books. I, I just saw that the other night. That's I started back. I, I'm doing two things. I'm watching the uh, season four, which is never. Uh, uh, played in syndication because it's the hour-long episodes, right? And then there's, uh, and then I, then I went, and I'm also doing from the beginning. So at the so I'm flip-flop, which I'm nice. watching the first season still or season just you know back and forth because I want to see this if I've never seen before. But sometimes I just want a quicker, you know, yeah. Half sometimes an hour you just want to watch the Hitchhiker moment. And she's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah you've yeah. been dead. You're like, what? No, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dead. What? Uh, anyway. Sorry, I know we're we're at the end of my time. I I'm sorry. I've took us yeah. down all these weird rabbit holes. That's okay. Um, you have time for one last topic? Uh, it's a quick I question, I think. Yeah, yeah. Can can comics ever be that popular again, as we discussed mm-hmm. with in the beginning? Can they ever be that popular where they're selling, you know, that many copies a month? The only way they can is if the internet, if, if Snake Plissken, you know, Escape from L.A. shows up and shuts the world off. That's the only way. Um, I think that's the only way art, that old kind of art can ever become popular uh-huh. again. I mean, the other option is, again, I think it's a price point situation. I think if somebody were bold. Yeah. And maybe it's going to be you and me in this little side project, secret side project that you and I are working on. I'm just teasing it to everybody right there. <laughs> But if somebody were to bold, be bold and literally come out with something that is interesting and entertaining and inexpensive, I think it could be. But you can't continue to try to charge four or five bucks. Like you said, nobody wants to spend four bucks on on Hawkman. So unfortunately, it's not even just that there's too much choice. It's just too expensive. It's not a hobby. You pay, pay 40 bucks for the for the video game and you can play it 50 different times and then you can log in and play it with your friends yeah. and you can do all these different things. It's the comic is, is static. So I think books and comic books can never be as popular as other media that changes, you know? So I wish the answer was yes, but I think sadly the answer is no. What do you think? I, I, uh, I just, I just see such a shift in entertainment to being so much more, interactive as opposed to uh solitary and 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 stationary you know i I guess you know you go you go to the even i mean just tv in the past 10 years has changed immensely from you know does anybody watch broadcast tv anymore or do they stream what they want to see or catch up on the app because of their lives you know right it's that i just i just don't know how to get I, I think you got to find a way to get comics into the hands of kids at a reasonable price point, yeah. you know? And I think, I think that is the biggest difference. And here we are talking about getting comics into the hands of kids, even though we're also at the same hand on the other hand, talking about comics are not for kids all the time, but it's like, how do you start people? How do you get adults reading comics? That's the other thing. How do you change the perception of comics from being something that's disposable entertainment for kids to uh, uh, 
a genuine art form, which was another question I accidentally skipped, but maybe we'll just have to talk about it later on some other in some other venue, which was at what point do comics become art and when are they just disposable entertainment? Because that's another question. Well, that's I sort think of, my uh, short answer to tease it when we talk about it further is it's always art. Everything's always art. Um, I don't care what it is. Um, somebody who designs a car is being artistic. Somebody who designs a book jacket is being artistic. Somebody who designs a bookmark is being artistic. So I think it's always art. It's just, it's your definition of high art versus low art, or is there a difference? And you're the art historian, so you are better to speak to that. So, but for me, they're always art. It's always art. We just have to change the perception on it um, because art is art. Right. Yeah. Now there's a way to end the show. Art art. <laughs> oh man! Well, drop. I hope you dropped your don't don't drop don't take your headset off. No, and drop I won't it. take them off yet. Yes. Go ahead and go ahead and drop your mic. You dropped your mic. There's your mic drop moment. Okay. Art is art. Bam. There we go. Okay, I, I thumped it. <laughs> Oh, well, well, I wasn't sure where this, how this would go, but it went. Uh, I, we did, we dealt with a lot of the big topics I thought we would. Oh, good. I'm I sorry. Know. I know I get tangenty. I, you know, and and I'm sorry. You're oh, the only person well, I know who read this well, book. So <laughs> the thing is, I'm I'm tangenty too. I do the same thing. I'm I'm super tangenty. That's my superpower. Nice, tangent man. Tangent um, man. <laughs> So, so it's. I, I hope we gave listeners an understanding of what this book is about, even if we didn't talk at length about what it is. It's almost like we didn't give you spoilers. No, I think we, we did a good job with it. that. Yeah, I think, and I, I hope everyone goes to read it. Yeah, because it makes us. We had a two-hour talk about big ideas, and if we started over, if we rebooted, even after having this conversation, we started again, we have a totally different talk about it because it's, there's so much in there. The reflection, like you said, we have to look back to think about where we are, and this is why this book is important. If you love this art form, you need to go back and go, yeah. like, well, how did we get here? And so you know, if we had threw one other person in the mix, it'd be a totally different conversation. Yeah, this is definitely a book for fans. If you're a fan of comics or if you're interested in uh, 20th century culture studies, this is definitely a book for you because it, it, it involves both, uh, both disciplines uh, equally and, and really how they come together. And as a fan, we're looking at it as what it means to the history of comics as, a, uh, as a, somebody that's maybe involved in 20th century culture uh, studies, you're going to see it from a different perspective and have uh, even different ideas that you and I didn't didn't discuss because they weren't the, the centered on the on the comic book uh, uh, topic that we are so ingrained in. But yeah, I, I hope people go read it because it's a great book. It's it really is a great book, and I mean, I hope you got that sense from the different types of conversation topics we had and and the big picture stuff that is involved here and it really gives some gravitas to the whole notion of comics as as a real art form and uh, uh a valuable a valuable art form in uh that's unique and unlike anything else in in our society i would say 
I totally agree. That's the mic drop, my friend. That was it. <laughs> there it is. Bam. Boom. Well, Tony, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and officially say thank you for joining me today. Oh, I had a great time talking to you. I did too. Um, and I think what we'll do here's what we'll do is that when we reconvene, we'll do a crossover because anything old okay. is going to technically be indie. So we'll do like we'll we'll do it. Then we can just say we know we're going to talk for two hours because it's us. And so we'll just split it in half. Okay. Half will be on my show and half will be on yours. And then we don't have to worry about it. But we'll get two shows out of one. Okay. Next time. What do you think? That sounds that sounds awesome. That sounds I, awesome. I would love that. The classic, the classic crossover. I love it. Yes. I love it. So uh, let's wrap it up, Tony. Where where can people find you? Oh, sure. On the so internet you can, you, and all that you can, stuff. You can go to my. If you are not a social media person, which you, if you're listening to a classic comic show, maybe you're not. So you can just go to my website. I mean, you still need the internet, though. Arfarina.com. You can get access to stories I've published. This podcast network, the Comics in Motion podcast network, where I am on with Indie Comics Spotlight, uh, which is me and a guest. And then I'm on Seasons Greetings with Jack, where we do classic TV through a modern lens. We're finishing up Buffy, and then we're going to move on to Angel. And then we are eventually going to get to Star Trek, the original series. So maybe you'll be getting a phone call. Uh, to see or a message oh. to see if we need a guest for the TOS when we do that. Um, oh gosh, then, yeah, I love that. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, it, we feel like I feel like I feel like the original run probably held up really well through the 2021 months. That's my guess, uh, but we'll find out. Um, and so then you can do that, and if you just or follow me on Twitter at Tricycle Boombox if you want to talk to me there. But um, if you're not on the internet, if you're not on the social medias, just go to my website. You can send me a message there and you can find a link to the book that I have an essay in, Judging Dread. Um, so we are both professional essayists, which is very exciting. This is <laughs> this is the show for professional essayists, you and I. So that's what nice. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, Tony, thank you so much again. And I'm going to put this out there for everybody in the uh in the internet verse i don't know what the next episode is going to be yet i haven't figured that out yet it's the first time so it'll be a surprise for all of us uh when you tune in next to classic comics so as always thank you for joining me and tony today and thank you for listening as always thanks